you know what? Keith Knight is coming, but we're not going to wait for him. <laughs> um, welcome to uh, Publishers Weekly, the Publishers Weekly panel, um, turning your ideas into graphic novels. Um, and really what you're going to hear are, are uh, three and hopefully four really <laughs> terrific artists talk about uh, um, how their ideas do become graphic novels, uh, but maybe a little bit more. We'll talk about you know maybe the business a little bit and break things down. Um, and when Keith gets here, you know he can put his two cents in as well. My name is Calvin Reed. I'm senior news editor at Publishers Weekly. Uh, used to be called the Bible of the book publishing industry, but we're a trade news journal that covers books. I'm also um, the uh, co-editor of PW Comics World, which just is uh, our online coverage of comics uh, and, uh, and graphic novels in the book trade. Uh, and I'm also the co-host of More to Come, uh, a PW Comics World's weekly podcast on the same topic. And uh, I do that along with my co-host, Heidi McDonald uh, of The Beat, who really has taught me more about comics than I can ever you know, let you know, uh, and Kate Fitzsimmons, who is our podcast producer. So we've got a, a great lineup. Uh, I'm really just going to uh, throw them softball questions and let them run with it. And then I'll scroll through a little bit of our works, but we'll start off very quickly um, with some short introductions. But really, I'm going to go back because I really want people. I, I, rather than me talk about them, I want to hear them talk about them. So we'll, Each other, uh, you mean? Or? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're going to start here very quickly with, as I scroll through, we're going to talk about, uh, I'm going to introduce first, uh, Sidney Padua, uh, author of The Thrilling Adventures of Lovelace and Babbage. Um, what's the subtitle? I can't read it here. Uh, the mostly true story of the first computer. Um, next to her, where, excuse me, as I switch through. Yeah. yeah. Durf Back Durf, um, cartoonist, uh, most recently the author of Trash, an ode to the crap job of all crap jobs. Um, a a, a semi-autobiographical look at the uh, um, trash business, but it's also kind of a, an interesting adventure story about working there. A uh, little bit of real life, and uh, well, a lot of real life, but not necessarily about him, but uh, drawn from the life. And Keith is coming. I'm using Prince of Cats. This is Ron Wimberly. Um, author of Prince of Cats, which I understand is going to be a new edition yeah, yeah. coming out from it. Obviously, you can talk about that, and you've got a lot of other things going on. Um, so, look, why don't we get right to it? Um, I'm going to jump down to Ron. Uh, tell, tell the audience a little bit what happened here, uh, a little bit about yourself, oh. how you got started. Um, I actually got started going to... Uh, Hmm. Started like from where, like as a as a, as a career? Yeah. Well, how you got started in yeah how, your early days in comics? I mean, yeah, what what I started out here? Like I just yeah. was looking for work, you know. So I came to comic book conventions with my portfolio and uh, seeing anyone who would be interested in me drawing anything, essentially, and uh, continued making my own comics in between jobs and. Eventually, uh, someone bit, you know, long ago to Matt, uh, maybe 2004-ish, around. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I got lucky. You got, you, you got lucky? I mean, you just were, uh, came to a convention? 
Yeah, I actually came to San Diego, uh, maybe around 2004. Uh -huh. uh, I made a little book uh, with my artwork in it and some design things too, like character designs. And uh, yeah, um, Will, was it Will Dennis? No, it wasn't Will Dennis, it was Jonathan Banker. And um, yeah, picked me out. Like I, I got a little interview and mm -hmm. started doing fill-ins on other books. Uh, Lucifer, Swamp Thing, and covers. So in a, in a, maybe it's kind of unconventional, but I did interiors and covers mm -hmm. uh, for them. And then just every opportunity I got, I pushed yeah. to do my own thing. Yeah. Durf. All right, I'm just messaging Knight. I was going to where the hell he is. Um, yeah, it takes back to the beginning. How you get <laughs> it's it the beginning, business. Jesus. I've been at it a while, so. Excuse the, the PowerPoint. Uh, I kind of screwed it up, and I don't know how to get it back. Oh, hopefully, yeah, so good. hopefully someone will come to my rescue. No, 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 no. It looks like Gilbert. And yeah, it is. It looks my desktop. <laughs> it's a desktop of my uh, laptop. Yeah. I, so. I, uh, I invented Luba. At, uh, no. uh, I started actually as a political cartoonist for reasons I can't remember in college at Ohio State. Well, look who shows up. There he is. <laughs> I, I didn't know there was a, a room that was farther away. <laughs> hey, you know how to run a PowerPoint? Do I? Yeah, I've lost this thing. Oh, really? You've yeah. lost control of the button. I don't, I, you know, I do one of these like once a week, but I, but I don't, still don't know what I'm doing. There's not a tech person? Don't let him run. Don't worry about it. Now he gets out of being yeah, no. late. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. There. Um, <laughs> I, guess, I guess I am back. There you go. That's all right. You know what? CP time is okay. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, I started, anyways, I started as a political cartoonist and did that in college for reasons I can't remember. I think it's because the political cartoons ran bigger than the strips, so, in the paper, so I thought I'll do political cartoons. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't very successful at that. I got fired from my first job. Or as the editor put it, general tastelessness. <laughs> and then moved to Cleveland for reasons I also can't remember and uh, began doing this weekly strip called The City which ran in all these uh, weekly papers that he used to trip over going into coffee shops in the 90s. That's where I first read you, right. in, the, in uh, New York Press. New York Press, yeah, that was one of the good ones. And I was in a bunch of those, like 140, 150 of those. And then that genre started going down and I thought, well, I better find something else to do. Could you pour that water any louder? <laughs> you know, it's yeah. all about Keith. <laughs> I know. Um, and so I thought, well, I'll try books, you know, and that turned out very well. <laughs> and uh, my uh, big book was My Friend Don, which is the true story of my teenage friendship with the uh, strange boy who grew up to be the most infamous serial killer since Jack the Ripper. So, uh, that kind of launched me into, uh, uh, I guess, the third act, and it's been great. So, you know, just keep working. I mean, try new things, and uh, it turns out that, uh, you know, it's an overnight sensation after 30 years of working. <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, I should have been doing it all along, which, you know, you kind of wonder, well, why did I waste those 30 years doing other shit? But sometimes that's the way the road goes. Where you hit your stride. Yeah. So, Sydney, tell us about your book. Uh, well, tell us, excuse me, tell us about your beginnings. But I'm obviously <laughs> overly anxious to hear you talk oh. about your book. But tell us about your beginnings. Um, well, I'm an animator professionally. I've 
did the boring thing, went to animation school, um, uh, worked uh, down in LA for a while. Warner Brothers doing uh, hand-drawn animation and um, development art. Uh, and uh, I have a very late start. I started um, uh, doing this online comic about Ada Lovelace, um, kind of by accident. Um, it, it's um, a friend of mine uh, runs this woman in tech uh, mm-hmm. thing, and she was like, "Oh, can you do a little thing to introduce people to Ada Lovelace?" So, um, and who is Ada Lovelace? Uh, Ada Lovelace is commonly known as the first computer programmer before there were computers. Um, she was the daughter of Lord Byron um, and wrote some theoretical programs for a computer in the 1840s. Um, so I did this brief bio uh, and put it up online uh, and uh, sort of turned into this webcomic that I was drawing after work uh, for about five years. Uh, just really, really completely informally. Um, and this is a comic about higher mathematics, engineering, um, uh, other obscure topics that, I, that I'm slipping my mind now. <laughs> the perfect material for an in-depth biographical graphic novel. <laughs> well, I think it worked really, I think math actually works really well for graphic novels. Everyone says, oh, that's a, that's a really unpromising subject, but I think it actually it's, is. Yeah, well, maybe on the surface, but it is yeah. to be a fascinating way to explore. Um, yeah, it, like it was, it was sort of a, an exploration is a really good word, uh, just online out of my own interest. Uh, and through various ways, Dan Frank at Pantheon came across it and asked me to do a book, so I did. Uh, that was my way of falling into comics. Keith Knight. How's it going, man? <laughs> All right, I've been through a lot today already. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm not picking on you. <laughs> I will, though. <laughs> but how'd you <laughs> go for it? Well, when uh, I, I, I got started uh, just drawing cartoons, like I think we all draw when we're small, just continued to be encouraged. And, um, but I did my first autobiography cartoon in eighth grade um, after a food fight in the cafeteria. And um, there was a lot of lies in any window going around. And I just wanted to set the record straight about what happened. So I sat down and did a comic strip that involved a lot of students, a lot of cafeteria people, and a lot of teachers. And I was making fun of everybody. And uh, and everybody was just happy to see themselves in a cartoon. Like, it didn't matter. I was making fun of that. And I was like, wow, you don't want to kick my ass? And, and, uh, and I was like, if I could do this for a job, uh, this would be great. So um, I started doing it for my junior high newsletter, then my high school newspaper, and then my, uh, my college newspaper. And from there, I developed the Hay Chronicles, which um, is an autobiographical strip that ran an alternative weeklies for years. Um, but one of the things I talk about was my time as a Michael Jackson impersonator in 1984. Yeah. When I was a senior in high school, it really came by accident, but it was a... Um, there's a, a school variety show, and Thriller was everything. So the finale of the, the show was Thriller, and they were looking for Michael Jackson. So we were sitting at lunch, and, and someone said, Keith, you make a really good Michael Jackson. And I wasn't even thinking about it. But uh, the guy who would become my rival said, not Keith, he's too skinny to play Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, that's a really weird thing to say. And then I figured he wanted to be it. So, of course, I went home and... and, uh, and, and looked at the VHS tape over and over and learned all the moves. And um, and so when I showed up for the tryout, the teacher was like, 
oh, uh, there's no tryout. He's going to be it. The, the rival was going to be it. I didn't even get a chance to try out. And the weirdest thing about it was the, my rival was in my breakdancing crew that was in the show. So it was kind of like I had to be in this group with him. And just it was like this weird sort of tension. And um, so it's the story of how I basically um, I thwarted him by, <laughs> by uh, the night of the show, instead of wearing my breakdancing outfit, I wore a Billy, my Billy Jean outfit. I, I got a Billy Jean outfit every night. And instead of doing any breakdancing moves, I did all the Michael Jackson moves, because I was better than him. <laughs> that always he helps. First, when he came out during the finale, it was like, "Where was the guy who, who was good?" And uh, after the show, we got started the show. <laughs> after the show, it's a smooth crowd. All the parents came up to me and said, "Hey, could you uh, perform at, at this party at this street fair?" This. So basically, I ended up uh, for like one and a half years getting paid seventy-five bucks an hour as a professor, which is my best salary today. And and these these pages are from these pages are from your your forthcoming yeah yeah it, it's, graphic bio. This is the graphic bio. I was a teenage Michael Jackson impersonator. That's the name of it, and um, it's taken. Super, super crazy long. I know. Um, I, we've been hearing about this. I know. I know like <laughs> decades. I thought I could do it while I had my nine deadlines because I do a daily strip and then do two weekly strips. I was like, oh yeah, he's cranking out. And um, what, what's really sort of taken over uh, over the past two years has been um, my slideshow on police brutality. I, I do a slideshow collecting twenty years of my police brutality cartoons and. Um, uh, it, it's just taken off. I've, I've been to 17 states, um, and and now um, being brought to Germany in October um, for a conference on police brutality. Um, basically, I've been doing it for so long, and the technology has caught up to the point where everyone's got a cell phone. So people are seeing what's been going on for years and years and years. And the saddest thing about all this is it, it's taken... It, not to just see the videos, but for someone to snap in both Dallas and Baton Rouge that most of the country is now really concerned about it. And that is a tragedy all around. And so what I'm trying to do with the slideshow is, is sort of get this dialogue going so we, can, so we can talk about this and really examine why this happens and why this continues to happen and why there are no real punishments going on. And, uh, and hopefully we can move past this, but now is the awkward time to have that conversation. And so, um, I mean, and this is the, t the time is now. So I've really put aside like a lot of projects just to, to I'm doing the slideshow tomorrow, a portion of my police brutality slideshow in lieu of my Q&A um, uh, because I'm a special guest this year. So um, that's What time and where is it going to be? It's going to be at, uh, in room 7A and B, I think, and it's, it's uh, at between 3 and 4 tomorrow. On Sunday. On Sunday. On Sunday. But um, but it's been you know it's nice to go back and work on this and it's nothing about all the bad stuff that's going on and it's sort of it's no homage to the eighties and I say it's it's uh, it's a story of a person who found himself by impersonating someone. Else. <laughs> <laughs> you got a publisher? Um, I don't, but. 
I have a bunch of people interested in, in it. Yeah. Yeah. So, Including me, yeah. Yeah, when, I'm putting, <laughs> when, uh, when I have like, I'm about two thirds of it's, um, like it's half inked, two thirds of it's sketched out, and when it's done, sketched out, I'm gonna start uh, right. looking for publishers. Right. All right, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna jump to Ron because I mean, I think the first time I encountered your work, and a lot of you know, a lot of all the people up here, I mean, they're, they're, one reason is that you know I love their work, and I've encountered it at different points in my comic book reading, you know, development, and just ran after it. I think sentences was like the first, the Love. first thing I said, the 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 biography of M. F. Graham. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, can you talk a little yeah, bit about? Say what? Yeah, yeah, no, I, it, I think when we did first, you did something for PW. Yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, I had I, I had a writer, I think, interview. Was it you or I can't? You know, I'm getting fuzzy now. I just remember the <laughs> book. I don't remember whether I, I, I wrote it or I signed somebody to write something. Um, but uh, no, in fact, I did. But I think she talked with M.F. Graham. She didn't talk with you. Uh, okay, that was the deal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I then I saw you again on a panel at South by. Yeah, but yeah, there was a there uh, was there, yeah, but it was kind of weird because you really you know I remember you were saying well I'm not sure if I'm really should be on this panel, <laughs> but you know it worked anyway. But I I, I love you. You talk about you know I mean turning M. F. Grimm's life into a, a graphic novel. I mean uh, a really amazing guy, amazing musician. Uh, when he started out on Sesame Street. Um, you know, big time drug dealer, uh, uh, incredible. Also on Sesame Street. Uh, huh? Yeah. Also on Sesame yeah, Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, an incredible uh, rapper. Uh, uh, in fact, he's got some. He's he's doing some stuff in um, San Diego now, right? He's like doing some things during Comic Con because he's a publisher now. That, but I didn't know. I don't know. You know, I he I've been so frantic. I haven't been able to get back in touch with him. But but I, I'd love to hear you just talk about you know those ideas working with him. Uh, and then we're gonna we're gonna get to Prince of Cats too, and you got so many other things going on. I, it, uh, but it, it, talk to us a little bit about uh, developing. Well, develop, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I uh, that one the development I think was pretty straightforward because you have someone who has a life, you have a writer, you know, who's telling their story. Um, I was kind of familiar with as a musician. I was familiar with him as someone featured on the records of. Another guy who I really, really was, I am a big fan of, which is uh, this artist, Doom. So then I kind of got to, <coughs> excuse me, I got to um, discover his story firsthand, you know, parts of the story that I had uh, heard before. And what was great is whenever you're learning something that interests you, often when I'm working materials, that excitement kind of pushed the work forward, you know. So, um, I, you know, I get the script, and you know, it's about, you know, oh well, I was going to this rap battle. It was the day of the rap battle, and then I ran into some rivals, and they shot me like ten times or something. You know what I mean? It's crazy stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I have pictures for that. You know what I mean? Like, and he's a great storyteller. You know, his yeah. story is amazing. So um, it was pretty straightforward. I just took the script and um, threw on some music that I liked and broke it down. You know, I had images in my head. You know, for it, uh, for that, 
I don't even know where the images came from. Like I, I walk around this neighborhood a bit, you know. Um, I'm in New York City too, but not like where he lives. Yeah. So I went to his neighborhood and I looked around. I got an idea of the space. Stopped um, working. All right. But from writing to the page, that's mostly what it was. Yeah. Like a visualization process and putting myself in the space. Looking at pictures of old Sesame Street could be part of that too. So it's a pretty strict word. Okay, leap forward and, and tell us a little bit about Prince of Cats and where you're taking it now. Well, that's funny because like um, similar, well, with Prince of Cats, I wrote it. So it was a, it started as ideas in my head, uh, questions that I had about narratives. So even when I was a kid, one of the first Shakespeare, Shakespearean plays you read is Romeo and Juliet. To, to the point where it's kind of like, it's kind of trite, right? It's like Romeo um, But, and as a child, I always thought like, wow, man, whatever. This is stupid, these kids are stupid. Like, why would anyone kill themselves? Yeah, yeah, this is dumb, this is dumb ideas. Then as an adult, I'm like, wow, kids kill each other, kill themselves all the time. How many of us aren't here right now? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yo, kids totally do the most insanely irrational thing. Um, but I got to be a little bit more um, interested in Tibble as a character because of some of the people and the environment um, that was around when I was young. So it was the 80s, and Washington, D.C. was pretty crazy. Um, and it made me ask myself, why would, why do young people get to a point where they don't value life? It's like, is it an ego thing? Like, the the idea of fighting for something that you believe in, like family or, you know, a squad or, you know, a crew or something. And I started to think about that, and I, I saw this is just, you know, similar to Romeo and Juliet and Tibble. And Tibble was always an interesting character to me. Also, literarily, like, just the, the way that Mercutio would, you know, jab and jive, you know what I mean? It was interesting. And from that kind of suit, you have these various ideas and they kind of coalesce, and then you have a story. And then formalistically, I had things I wanted to do with comics. So, um, sonic form, like, one of the more interesting things about Romeo and Juliet are like the way, is the way that Shakespeare is using sonic forms to describe characters, like different characters have different poetic uh, modes that they speak in, you know? I thought, oh, this is, this is great, you know? So I wanted to do something like that with um, Prince Cats. I wanted to explore uh, what constraints I could give myself with this medium that would uh, possibly replicate the, the constraints that Shakespeare gave himself when he wrote the play. So I started to play with panel layout and structure, page structure, rhyming page structures. And how does your, how does your language play into that too? Because I mean that's a key element of this. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I also, um, uh, for the most part, wanted to stick to pentameter in the dialogue of the characters that I introduced. So um, it's a work, Prince of Cats is a work that has certain portions of the original play in it, but also other portions, like it mainly follows Tibble. Um, and other side characters. So there are entire portions that are not in the original play, but I wanted 
for the language to have a, I didn't want it to be jarring. So I kind of chopped up Elizabethan English, uh, introduced some colloquialisms from, that I was familiar with from you know, New York, uh, stuff that maybe I heard on, um, you know, I watched 80 Blocks from Tiffany's, you know, like a uh, old documentary about um, Bronx gangs. Try to get my hands on as much sort of materials about what was happening in New York City at the time, the story, or just before the time this story takes place. So, like the late 70s, early 80s, New York City. And mix that up with Elizabethan English while also, for the most part, uh, using pentameter in the, um, in the way the characters spoke. It's a it's a crazy hip hop inflected like yeah. Shakespearean like flow thing that you got going on. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. And I didn't tell my editor I was doing most of that. Yeah, so yeah. Like, what I told my editor was, oh, it's a you know, it's like the Warriors meets you know the pitch. It, it's a lot simpler. You know the pitch isn't. Oh, okay. Well, I've had these formless exercises. You know, I mean, like, editors no, love to hear that, man. No, they don't hear that. Like, oh, you can't do this. This is your first book. Like, yeah. You, you know, like, no, nah, just stick, you know, keep it simple. Um, so, yeah. All right. We're going to, I'm going to jump to Sydney. Okay. And I, I, I really want to hear you talk about how you're able to bring comics to this. I mean, there's a lot of science. And, you know, I like science, you know, in a light way. <laughs> You know, and you know, I tell my wife I don't like math, but I just do that to annoy her because she's way better at it than I am. But um, you know, reading, you know, Lovelace and Babbage, you know, I kind of feel like you know I know a little math, though I don't. So, <laughs> I mean, how do you talk about how you make this stuff like? I, I want to use this accessible because you really don't. But what it is, you, you make it lively and engaging. To, to, so talk about that, how you, and, and maybe a little bit more about um, Ada and uh, uh, Charles, because these are, they're fascinating people made more fascinating by your uh, uh, scientists actually turned superheroes. Yeah, um, well, I guess, uh, I, I mean, I didn't actually set out, I think, to do anything. Like, I, I didn't have a sort of a goal or I didn't have an educational purpose with the book. Um, the book was purely from my own interest, and I think um, when people find it, uh, I guess, helpful for introducing them to these concepts is because I myself came at the whole um, thing as someone who, who hated computers, um, who used to, well, because like, a lot of the subtext of the comic is you because... You hide it well. Well, I, I, I used to work as a 2D animator um, for years and years, uh, and um, you know, started on Iron Giant, you know, and the beautiful drawing was such a huge part of um, you know what I loved about my work. And then um, when computers took over, and I had to learn this horrible software. If anyone's ever had to work in um, kind of visual effects software, it's it's take every nightmare you've ever had with any computer ever and just multiply it by 10. And, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just this endless kind of nightmare of abstractions and crashing software and incomprehensibility. And so the comic actually began as this kind of way for me to get my vengeance on computers by turning the computer, the first computer, uh, this unbuilt steam-powered computer from the 1840s into this big joke. 
but in order to make it a, a big joke, I had to, you know, find out about it to find its weak points, you know, <laughs> so I could, you know, make the gags funnier. And as I started learning about the analytical engine, um, I think that's when I started to get fascinated with how it actually worked. Um, like for me, the engine was was this incredible gateway into how modern computing works, because uh, it's exactly a computer. It's just made out of brass wheels and it's run by steam. Um, but in every other way, the logic of it and the way it's put together, the engineering is is like a modern computer. And it's like a real world steampunk. Yeah, exactly. Fantasy. Like uh, steampunk comes from people saying, "Well, what if this engine had been mm -hmm. built, and then you'd have you know the information age." Um, and you know, I'm a quite, I'm a very concrete thinker. Like I've got that monkey brain that you know, I, you want to bash the rock into the other rock, and that's how things work. You know, and, and computers are like electrons doing things somewhere. So, um, I guess you know, to bring it back to your question of, of you know, how do you make scientific ideas engaging? The whole comic when I was doing it online, um, it wasn't going to be a book. It wasn't going to be anything. It was just you know, oh, here's this really interesting thing I found, and it kind of sparked off these ideas in my head, and I could sketch them out, you know, because I was working on a computer, I wasn't drawing anymore during the day, so I still ha had all this energy to draw at night, because uh, the drawing, which had been kind of fed into, you know, the corporate, you know, turning out to on model, you know, for somebody else's film, suddenly I had this tool that was back in mind again, which was drawing, because the computer was doing all that stuff, so... Um, I had this huge energy, I think, from, from not drawing at all at work anymore. Um, Interesting. So it was a mix of the, the drawing, uh, kind of being able to explore and take drawing back for myself um, uh, in comics, which is just, you know, as an animator, you know, you do one tiny drawing after the other. Suddenly comics, it's like, wow, you're so free, you do a drawing and you're done, you know? It's like... <laughs> um, so it, it was kind of... A, it, I think the whole genesis of the comic was really from that switch for me going into you know this very fluid way of animating on paper into having to tell a machine what to do um, and having the machine tell me what to do. So it's it's I, I think when I look back, it was really about that experience. And I think you know that's an experience everyone has. Everyone's lives are now ruled by computers in so many ways. Um, you know, and I, I think to kind of have an imaginative way of dealing with that as a physical thing, you know, that crashes, like that literally crashes and that literally gets stuck. Um, uh, I think it's a lot more comprehensible when you physicalize it, you know, and give it a personality. Uh, does that make sense? It makes sense indeed. Yeah. You got good flow. Okay. Look, I want to ask Durf a question and then I want the audience to ask questions because uh, I could talk all day. But I, I, I know, Durf, you've got a journalism background. Um, I, I'd love to hear you talk more about Trashed, uh, which has been an option for a movie. You got the whole film bug is happening. Yeah. Um, but uh, because it's, it's a, an experiential book, but it's also an information-laden book. And you right. balance the two. Yeah, well, you know, you, you look for, um, at least I do, for uh, stories that haven't been told. And, you know, specifically with Trash, I mean, really with all my books, specifically with trash. You know, there's this vast apparatus out there, like a million garbage trucks on the streets of the United States, hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars being spent and picking up your garbage. I and mean, you guys, you know, you never even think about it. You, know, you put it on the curb and you come home and it's gone like magic. 
<laughs> and uh, you know, so I really wanted to take people into that because um, I think it's first a very interesting story, and it's this huge, also this huge problem. Um, for example, just the garbage that Americans produce, just less garbage, that's us Americans. Um, if you took that garbage and put it in, in garbage trucks and lined those garbage trucks up bumper to bumper, in 18 months that line would stretch from the earth to the moon. Just 18 months, and that's every 18 months. All the planets in the solar system get fit between the Lots of space. <laughs> it's, a lot uh, of trash. it's a lot of trash. <laughs> New York City, your city alone, spends over a billion dollars on garbage collection. Billion dollars. Have you ever been to New York during your garbage? Hey, we're number one, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's all this stuff, you know, and it's just kind of you know you got to figure out a way to do it. So I tied it in with this uh, this sort of rollicking comic narrative. <clears throat> and you know, as an author, you like to surprise surprise the reader, and. You know, I also think I did that with my friend Dahmer, which was was my big hit, um, humanizing this this very uh, you know this monster, and saying, well, you know, everybody's human once. You know, start out as human. You know, Hitler started out as human, et cetera, et cetera. And when you write people off as monsters, you know, you kind of remove all all fault and, and all uh, you know mistakes. And there were a lot of mistakes made with Dahmer as there are with any of these serial killers or mass shooters. So that's what I'm always looking for in stories. And as, you know, like I said, I got a degree in journalism, which was a huge mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was fun while it lasted. But I was able to, you know, I've used those, those skills to actually research books. And it, I found it, uh, even fiction, and I found that it, it's uh, a really useful tool. And um, I think more people should really, should, should try it. And it's, uh, um, it can reveal surprising things, and it's a really great way to put together, like you know, the bones of a book, and, and then you can just have fun with it and twist it and shave it and fly off. Trash is not memoir; it's not not fiction. It's actually fiction, but it's based on experience, which I also like to do because you know, when you when you have experience, you can pull from. You know, that gives you a working element of, of, of truth. And with my friend Dahmer, it just fell from the sky and dropped into a lap. I mean, you know, how was I not going to tell that story? I remember when the story broke, you know, and, and his CNN is pounding on my door <laughs> in 1981. I was thinking there's insider thinking, wow, maybe I should do a book about this. <laughs> and, uh, it took a while, but uh, so that's I mean that's how those things came together. And I, I just simply don't know how to tell stories another way. I mean that's the way I was trained. So, wow, so they came after you, huh? Oh, the media? Yeah. Oh God. I remember looking out and there were like four camera trucks parked in front of my house. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And now it's, that's, actually that movie starts shooting uh, next month. Right, well, right, that's right, because uh, the, the Donald book, that's going to be, that's right, it's no, in production. No, it's happening, yeah. 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 It's happening. Yeah, it's on you later. Yeah, <laughs> You don't know Visit you on the set, man. <laughs> so any questions out there for our panelists? Come on, you got some great people up here, some fabulous storytellers in all kinds of ways. All right, in the back, sure. Um, when, you, when you have your ideas, like when I'm writing, I, I'll start on the story and then I'll think, okay, go this way, go this way, go this way. And they all seem so great. Like, what? <laughs> what <laughs> I mean, you know, and this is the thing, I'm sure they're not. 
but they don't seem so great. So how do you kind of say, you know what, I'm going to settle in, this is going to be my story, because it feels like my mind is always racing. Well, I think the first thing is you have to decide what the story is. You know, what do I want this book to be? Look for the central idea. And then you start tossing out stuff that doesn't really enhance that idea. And then maybe when you have your structure, you know, and then you can start adding stuff back in to enhance it. But you really got to figure out what it is before you really bring it together. Fourth, uh, related to this question, do uh, what structures do all of you guys, if you do, you have structures, and which ones do you use? Like I have one, but I'll go last. Really? Yeah, I have a structure that I use. Um, just you know, because I give myself, I give myself uh, constraints. You know what I mean? So that I, so that I can, for this reason, when I have like a bunch, I, I have my central idea, which is usually what generates the ideas. You know, but then even after that, I have my okay. Yeah, well, I have a whole bunch of things that I still have to get Um <laughs> Well, I mean, structure is definitely my weakest point. Um, I <laughs> personally, um, I tend to just um, dump everything I'm interested in. But I, I totally agree that um, theme is really critical. Like, I made a decision that the comic was about the clash of the human and the machine. And I, I actually had these huge lists and drawings and kind of uh, sketches like uh, straight lines for the machine, cogs for the machine, um, like visual style for each side. So I had the human was the the ambiguous, the difficult, the emotional, um, grays, squiggly lines. Uh, whereas the computer was, uh, you know, straight lines. These computer generated backgrounds and all that stuff. So that was the theme uh, that you know every story was about a human uh, clashing with this machine world. Um, and if there was something, you know, that didn't fit with that, then, you know, are they, well, that's maybe for another project or another thing, you know, because um, I think story-wise, I, I guess partly because I come from, um, you know, I used to work in development at Warner Brothers, so, you know, I, I have a, I'm a bit allergic to that, you know, very Robert McKee-ish sort of story structure thing, because um, I've seen it ruin a lot of good ideas by click, 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 click through the thing. So, yeah, um, you know, but I, I think approaching stuff by theme, you know, just playing with themes in different ways um, uh, keeps things together and centra centralized without getting too rigid that way. <coughs> Well, um, the weird thing, I, you know, I've been experimenting with it a lot because um, I'm actually, despite my appearance, a, a, a very young graphic novelist. <laughs> I've only been doing it for, you know, since 2010, my first book came out. So it's all new to me, and I decided with each book I'll try something different. So with my first book, which is Punk Rock and Trailer Cards, which is based on uh, experience of being a punk rocker and all places, Akron, Ohio, where I grew up. Um, it's a big music town. It is, yeah. And it was—it's—it's it's a fun book, and I—and I love the characters. But you know, I really didn't know what I was doing with it. So you know, I—I I, I did the classic three-act formula. But then I got to the end, and I—I I hadn't written it out. So I like redrew the last chapter like three times. It was just like I couldn't figure out how to end it. I was like Coppola with Apocalypse Now, you know. <laughs> 
Um, and I decided, you know, that's really not a good way to do it. So <laughs> I won't do that again. <laughs> but with my friend Dahmer, again, it was a 3X structure. But then with Trat, of course, that's nonfiction. So that's based on a timeline, a very specific timeline. And then you have to chop it up to make you know, your book into 3X. Um, but with Trash, I decided, no, I'm going to throw that out, and I'm just going to do this kind of long, rollicking storyline. All three books have kind of, you know, the protagonist's journey, which is, you know, kind of an essential part of writing. Um, but um, I like to try different things. I'm, I'm just not going to stick with one one formula. And I specifically moved away from 3X because I'd already done that twice. I think it's broken. This way? I think it's kind of broken. Yeah? As a... Three X. You know, I did it with Dahmer because I didn't want to get in the way of the story. I thought, you know, this thing is a gift. I mean, the story is so so incredible. He wrote it on me, and I didn't want to get in the way with that by doing some tricky stuff. Just like lay it out very simply and let the the power of the story do the work. And I think that was the right decision. But yeah, yeah, I would agree on that. Um, I wrote the beginning, and um, I wrote the end, and now um, I'm just filling everything in. <laughs> uh, because I, uh, the ending happened pretty perfectly. Don't get away. <laughs> uh, so I was like, there it is. And um, so, you know, the stuff I just wanted to make sure I touched on was, you know, how it started, sort of um, the peak of it. And then, sort of, when it started to wane, and I wanted to, you know, emerge as the person that I was. And then uh, Michael Jackson's dad, and then sort of that ending that I had already written. And each chapter is named after a Michael Jackson song or a Jackson Five song. So what's interesting is trying to find sort of the story in each one of those. It's a constraint. You give yourself like that. Yeah. 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 So. Uh, one of my favorite ones is Smooth uh, Criminal. And um, for some silly reason, um, a friend of ours who worked at this fast food place, um, it was like it was like a private, you know, like fried chicken place where only two people were. They were the cook in the back and then there was someone in the front. He got my cousin and I to um, pretend to rob the place. And I had a, a, a gun that was, it was a stuffed, it was a real gun, but it was stuffed. But it was plugged. It wasn't a real gun. Okay. It was a real gun, but it was a plush. Literally, when we were in high school, like, I hid in the bushes, and, and my cousin went into the place and pretended to rob the place. In the that you still get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, boy, I'll see. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, it's, yeah, it's interesting to sort of, um, you know, have these titles and then and then find that. A name is a powerful thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so there's a lot of different things that, you know, I'll sit there and, and I'll stare at diff different titles and be like, okay, you know. Um, then there, uh, you know, a lot of my... Uh, you know, I got very all the pruning and stuff getting ready. I'm using this exercise and stuff so far. Yeah, and um, there's, there's one where 
like you, you start going off on, on and, and start bringing up stories that you completely forgot about, which I had this this really interesting experience with. Uh, it had nothing to do with Michael Jackson, but because of my success of, of doing that, I had a lot more confidence, so I was able to, to confront somebody that screwed with me in the past, pre-Michael Jackson person, and then after, uh, I screwed with him. Just, you know, the, the through line in your life is just revenge. Triumph over my enemies. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but uh, yeah, it's 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 an interesting story. But uh, yeah, I, I don't really want to say about it. But it's 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 one of my favorite chapters in it. And, uh, Man in the mirror. No, no, that Sweet one. Thing. No, say say say. Say 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 say. say, 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 say. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, so. Very very good. Very good. Yeah. So I use like a foreign instruction sometimes. Now I because I I get obsessed with. I couldn't hear you. What? 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 I use a four-act structure. Four-act structure. Huh. Well, I, you know, I don't. I'm not a slave to it, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Like it, it helps. It helps in an editing process, or also helps if I get stuck. And I'm like, well, you know, where's the story going? Like I'm just, I'm just focusing on these characters and this conversation, and like I fill the book up. You know? <laughs> and like you have, were you um, influenced by Shakespeare to move from the three to the um, Shakespeare to move like outside of three altogether. Right. Yeah, but working on the Shakespeare stuff, it just became apparent that, like, well, nah, that's BS. Like, even some of the things that people shoehorn into three-act structures, it's BS, you know? And then looking at what Shakespeare is doing, which, you know, I don't think he ever sat down, I mean, I don't know, who knows anything about Shakespeare's design, right? like, so long ago, but they're historians, maybe. But, <laughs> um, I, I don't think it was very deliberate, but you can see something happening, I would guess, organically with the structure of the, um, and independent from the act structure, but like, you know, uh, with the narrative and how it's moving. You know, well, the story is what the story is. I mean, sometimes it just takes on a life of its own. Mm-hmm. You can't yeah. let it go. You can't be locked into form. I mean, it, it really all comes down to the story mm-hmm. and the characters. And, and structure is kind of, you know, structure is whatever you decide to make it. But mm-hmm. if you don't have a story, you don't have the characters. Structure ain't gonna help you. No. I mean, it's, you know. But the way, like, the way this for, like, so it's a kind of old Chinese act structure. Um, Good God. Sure what, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but there's something interesting about it. Uh, there's something interesting about it. Uh, Our next Thurber Fellowship. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> fellow right here. No, no, no. see why. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it's, just, it's just reading and stuff, right? It's stories, you know? But there's something that's interesting about it was that um, in the third act, it... Structurally, it takes a different perspective. And that, for me, just kind of like opened up my way of looking at story. So, um, and it's like for as a reader. Yeah. yeah. It's like, and it, as a creator, it's like, okay, oh, yeah. okay, so you, you've been following this, well, what's the other angle? Right. And then that, even if you don't choose to do that, that informs maybe the way you look at the world. It's like um, when you have, when you're lighting something, right? And you've got one light. And then you have another light, and now all of a sudden it's three dimensions. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the opposite form. I mean, you know, we go to you know any Hollywood blockbuster, we won't mention any name. <laughs> <laughs> you sit there, you can write the whole damn thing in the first five minutes. But you know, when you, when you actually do a good story, I mean, you, tur- you turn, you twist, and, and you get to the end, and you find you read something very different than you set out to do. I think that's, you know, that's 
that we all aspire to. But, you know, you're right. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think cause, like, cause and effect is a really, I find was a really good way to think of story. Like, rather than kind of fitting everything into a box, it's more like a Rube Goldman machine. Well, if this happens, then what could possibly have to happen after that? Then what could happen after that? Then what could happen after that? And that, that way of sort of moving forward in this, you know, organic way, rather than trying to hit a point and detour. What could happen, not what she wants to happen. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, exactly. You want to cause problems. You know, like you don't want it to be tidy. You want the problems to get worse and worse, not better. Just try to plan anything in your own life and pay attention to what happens. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to jump in here right now. Uh, a fabulous and fascinating conversation. Uh, but I, I, you know, I'm getting a little, uh, you know, indication from the back. Look, thank all of you for well, being here. This has been a great discussion. Uh, let's have a big hand for these great visual storytellers. Uh, they're, they're taking this medium into the future, um, uh, making comics even better than they already are. Thank you so much for coming out. And you know what? Go read more comics. <laughs>